Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. But what's the point of it? I know that's kind of a really broad question, but what is the point of existence? It's not broad. It's a very narrow question. Okay. Good. <laughs> what you're asking is, what's the point of life? Yeah. Such a question comes because in some way it's become burdensome. If you were ecstatic, you wouldn't ask that question, isn't it? In the moment of right. great joy, you don't ask that question. Right. You ask that question because somewhere your feet are dragging because you don't have the throttle under your right foot anymore. <laughs> oh, good one. Really good one. <laughs> so, driving, so get back in the car, okay. Driving at the speed limit, you're feeling, <laughs> what is the point of life? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You understand me so well. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. On the show today is Sadhguru, who is a pretty intensely spiritual man. He is a renowned speaker. He's a best-selling author and founder of the Isha Foundation, whose mission is to raise human consciousness through individual transformation. For any of you out there who have done any sort of spiritual diving, you no doubt come across Sadhguru. So it was a true honor to speak to him. Uh, his wisdom is is wide and deep. You know, he's also very playful and fun. So he has a, a, a real true understanding of the human experience and how to essentially escape well, his newest book, Karma, get out of your karma to leave your karma behind, as he would refer to it, kind of like the bag that that's what we talked about. Most most of the show is how our memory affects us and ways to make peace with it, essentially become a happier human being, which I think is probably just about something that anyone would want more of. And Sadhguru is definitely someone who sits there in a lot of joy. And I think that you'll hear that today on the show. What is a Not name? your name, but what is a name anyway? Uh... Name, uh, if we if we look at it properly, name is any word, any utterance is just a sound. But you can either have make a sound which fits the nature of your reverberation, or you can just have a name which is culturally relevant but not relevant to you as a person. So in India, we take enormous care to choose a name which fits the child when they grow up. When they mature, many times we change the name because they have changed. Their reverberations have changed, accordingly we change the name. It… it… Uh, at different times, at two, three to four times you could change the name. Have you always had the same name? Uh, nobody calls me by my name, so it's okay <laughs> except my daughter. <laughs> wow! How many names have you had? Uh, 
generally… In this lifetime. <laughs> no, only one name, but generally people call me Sadhguru now, except my girl, everybody else calls me Sadhguru now, so… How did you get that name? Well, uh, it's, it's not a name, it's more a description in the sense, uh, suppose uh, you go because you have some problem in your eye, if you go, will you go to an orthopedic? If you have a bone problem, you will not go to a neurologist, you will go to an orthopedic like this. So Sadhguru is a description. You want to learn scriptures, you don't go to him because he knows no scriptures. You want to know some tradition, you don't go to him because he has no tradition. You want to know some ritual, you don't go to him because he knows no rituals. He knows only one thing, he is completely uneducated about the spiritual culture. He knows only one thing, he knows this life from its origin to its ultimate. If you are interested in knowing life, you go to him. If you want to know something else, you don't go to him. So it's a simple description, Sadhguru means a guru of the within not of the sacred books or texts or gods and heavens, he doesn't know all that, he knows only this. How did you get that information? How did you... is it getting the information or is it remembering? Tell me, are you an information or a living life? Living life? That's it, that's what I am. But it's so Why deep. Why do you call me an information? <laughs> because it is information for so many. I've come to ask questions for information. What you get from me will not be information. The word guru means this, that gu means darkness, ru, ru means dispeller. One who dispels your darkness is guru. So you can say, you can call guru a sadguru, a torchlight if you want. Now where do you want to flash it? You tell me that's your questions, we'll decide where we want to flash the torchlight. <laughs> wow! Do you flash the torchlight? When it's not asked ever, or is it only if it's invited? When it's not asked, uh, I have a big light bulb. Everything is lit, but people cannot see. They need focus light on something, because they've made their minds like a keyhole, which is the tragedy of human existence. The human experience is so fascinating to me. I. I watch and listen and try and understand it. But what's the point of it? I know that's kind of a really broad question, but what is the point of existence? It's not broad, it's a very narrow question. Okay, good. <laughs> what you're asking is, what's the point of life? Yeah. Such a question comes because in some way it's become burdensome. If you were ecstatic, you wouldn't ask that question, isn't it? In a moment of right. great joy, you don't ask that question. Right. You ask that question because somewhere your feet are dragging, because you don't have the throttle under your right foot anymore. <laughs> oh, good one, really good one. <laughs> so, driving, so get back in the car. Okay. Driving at the speed limit, you feeling <laughs> what is the point of life? <laughs> exactly. You understand me so well. <laughs> But uh, speed limits are there on the regular street. When I first came to United States, nearly twenty, twenty-two years ago, because I'm always used to putting the 
throttle to the floorboard, wherever I am. If the motorcycle, it's full-on touching the springs and sometimes cutting off the springs <laughs> because it's... it was never enough for me <laughs> This is a strange thing when I was riding way back. About five times, I cut off that brass... Uh, one pin will be there inside the carburetors of a two-stroke engine. At that time, we were riding two-stroke engines. First time it happened, I just couldn't figure out what happened because if I start the motorcycle, it starts, if I try to throttle up, it goes off. I took it to somebody who was kind of an expert. He looked at it and he couldn't figure it out. Not knowing, we thought the dynamo is gone, so we ch the dynamo could be charged those days only in the manufacturing unit. So we took it there, one whole day I sat there and got it charged and brought it back, still the same thing. Then I realized, I've, it is something unheard of. The brass pin which is in the thing, when you throttle up, it comes up and there's a butterfly around it, you know, that's how it was made. So that has gotten cut because I'm holding the throttle full on like this. <laughs> and after that, it happened five times. Then I knew every time it happened, I've got... I always started carrying one extra pin <laughs> with me. <laughs> oh, you are my guru. <laughs> So, when in some way you don't live your life joyfully enough, intensely enough, you wonder, what is the point of my existence? Because human intelligence is made this way, if it doesn't figure out... If it doesn't figure out all aspects of life, it will feel incomplete. If you had the brains of an earthworm or a grasshopper, you would be fine eating, sleeping, reproducing and dying one day. But once you've come with this level of intelligence and awareness, you have to look deeper into your life because your life is not fixed like their life. Mm -hmm. Nature has drawn two lines for all of them. They just have to live within that and go. For you, there are no lines. This freedom is what everybody is suffering. So some people try to go beyond lines by sitting in a race car. Some people do it by doing crime. Some people do it by doing adventure. Yes. You see? Crime. Yes, that is in a way to break lines. You, you need to understand because I've... I've worked uh, with... Uh, you know, like we have a program called Inner Freedom for Imprisoned, which is mandatory in all southern Indian prisons now. Mm. And also we did programs here in Kentucky, in Pennsylvania, Tennessee, in other areas in the mm -hmm. prisons. I've spent so much time with hardcore criminals doing these programs. Mm -hmm. What I saw was, this is their way of racing. Huh. Breaking speed limits. Your way of doing it is you went to the track. If you did the same thing on the street, you would be in the prison. Yes. So, they didn't get sponsored, they didn't get a car, they didn't get a machine, they didn't get a situation in their life where they could create a... a race is a controlled uh, situation to commit crime. As far as a local trooper is concerned, I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a controlled atmosphere where it's made reasonably safe for everybody. The risk is only for those who want... who have that madness in them. Mm. But if you do it on the street, the risk is for everybody, so it becomes a crime. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing. If you have a high-powered car on the street and you race... When I first came to United States, I thought, what is the problem? Because I'm not... I'm never going to drive in such a way, it's going to be dangerous for somebody else. But if I'm not on the edge of danger, I can't live, okay? 
So I'm like hitting it really full throttle and people are saying, Sadhguru, Sadhguru, you should not drive like this in America. It's not like India, you can drive at your own speed. <laughs> people in India do drive crazy, so fast. Yes. So fast. I, I was I drive scared. much faster in India than I do in America. Wow. So first couple of visits I made, I'm driving, I said, what's the problem? There's power in the engine and the road is wide open, what is it? He said, no, no, you can't do this, they'll handcuff you, they'll do this. I said, why? Then I don't listen to what others say, I just observe, then I see a eight-year-old woman is driving a school bus and going. If I go whoosh, she may go fall off somewhere, all right? So then I mm -hmm. understood the speed limits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you think, are we all, I mean, you say that you need something to help you bring you to the edge. Is this part of the human experience to... Um, or the human burden? Is this a burden in our life that helps us learn lessons to have that sort of <laughs> breaking the lines aspect to us? See, you can call it breaking the line. Essentially, it is a freedom offered only to the human being in this mass of life that exists on this planet. For all of them, clearly drawn out lines by nature. You can do this, you cannot do this. You're a tiger, you're a lion, you're a grasshopper, you're an earthworm, whatever the hell you are, including the virus. Okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> lines are fixed by nature. For you, lines are not fixed. So human beings are not suffering their bondages, they're suffering their freedom because they don't know how to deal with it. Let's unpack that. <laughs> it's the freedom that they're it's suffering? It's the freedom that they're suffering. What do you mean? Why do you think everybody's trying to bind themselves to somebody? Because they cannot be free. If they're free, they feel terrified. Why? Somebody has to hold their hand all the time. See, I cannot live without you, or I, I cannot... <laughs> you taking that <laughs> Whether I say I cannot live without you, or I cannot walk without a crutch, what is the difference, I'm asking? See, Perception? right now we, we made it very romantic, and yeah. if I say I cannot live without you, <gasps> that's supposed to be the best thing. No, I can live perfectly without you. Right. But by choice, I'm having you here. Right. Isn't this a great thing? Right. Absolutely. I cannot live without you. You're my crutch. Why do we use those words then? Those are the romantic <laughs> words, because I can't live without you. Why do we use those words uh, then? That is because your life is being shaped by sappy novels and Hollywood <laughs> last scene, lived, hap lived uh, happily ever after kind of scenes. I think those scenes are generally gone these days. They're from scenes from 60s, 70s, 80s mm. also maybe to some extent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. Um, it's so true. It is true. You, there, there is a programming that comes from television, from books, uh, and, and do you think See, this is... Co commercial, commercial forces are determining your consciousness. That's the sickest way to develop a human society. But it's happening, right? Of course, big time. Do you watch TV? News channels. Not every day, I would like to, but... In United States, I don't even get to read a newspaper. There isn't any newspaper anywhere in any home. In India, in every home, there'll be a newspaper. In our homes, there'll be five news... five editions of different brands of newspaper, because we have to look at a newspaper. Online in news is there, but it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Television... Indian television has become full of debates, not much news, you have to search for news. Mm -hmm. And every two minutes, somebody will come and send a, sell a hammer, an underwear, anything yeah. in the... in your face, yeah. <laughs> right? To get ten minutes of news, you'll have to 
by a hammer, a screwdriver, an underwear, a car and whatever <laughs> Very expensive to watch the news <laughs> So you have to keep shifting to five different channels to get little bit of news here, there, there <laughs> Programming and purchasing So what is the right programming then? See, freedom means no programming. Program means you're set, mm -hmm. no freedom. Freedom means to be able to live here without a program. What's the definition of nirvana? <laughs> nirvana, before... I know it's a popular word in California, nirvana means non-existence. Are right. you ready for that? Right. <laughs> Are if you, you want nirvana, you can ha you have no programming, essentially then. No, non-existence, that non you don't existent. exist. Are you ready for non-existence? People are just using these mm -hmm. words picked right. up from books and scriptures. Right. I've been thinking a lot about abracadabra and how words are spells. And so that feels like, of course, programming that you get from your television or your newspaper. And the words that you say to each other, like, I can't live without you. That's powerful in a good and bad way. When I say I cannot live without you, what is being satisfied within you is your insecurity right. that right. you have hold over me. If I say, I can live absolutely joyfully without... With, without you, but I'm choosing to have you here, this is valuable. This yeah. is the best acknowledgement for who you are. Exactly. I cannot live without you, you could as, be, as well be a stick that I hold and walk. <laughs> so that should be how you address the person that you love then, right? Those should be yes. the new... the new words are... <laughs> I don't need you, but I'm glad you're here. This yes. is a joyful experience, but I don't need you. Why That's should... the most loving thing you could say. I understand yes, that, is. I agree. <laughs> I... I agree. I... I... I think that, uh, of course, needing anything is... See, we have raised need about joy, need about love, need about freedom. Needs are everything because it's a market economy. If you don't have needs, what will the economy do? Well, they're gonna sell. You don't need anything, <laughs> what do they sell? I'm not good for the economy, they're telling me. Wow. They tell me, Sadhguru, you don't have credit history. <laughs> I say, isn't it good? I've never taken a loan, isn't it great? They say, no, you have no credit history, you have no value in the United States, you must buy something. I say, I don't need anything, why should I buy something? <laughs> We play into that system. Your book, Karma, and I have been reading a lot about karma, and I've always read a lot about karma, and I'm sure I use it in the wrong context, but in all of the things that I've watched and read and, and, and understood within me feels like karma is some... is... is... could be also another word that could be used as perception. Is that accurate? Mm. Karma is post-perception. -perce perception has happened. The residual impact of perception is karma. The residual impact... See, right now, whatever you perceive... Right. All of it may not right. remain in the conscious plane of who you are. Right now, you look like this, there are... there are hundred different shades of green out there. Right. You may not be conscious about it, yeah. but all of it has been captured by your eye and registered somewhere within you. So next time you see that, it will naturally make its own judgments. The dark green may create fear in you, light green may create joy in you, I'm saying... Mm -hmm. Just ad hoc, I'm just saying. But I'm saying different colors, different tastes, different smells, different sounds create either fear or joy in you. Your race car 
if my father, father heard that race car engine, he would have a nervous breakdown. Because, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He hated my motorcycle when I revved up because I'm just tuning it and ma'am, 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 if I do that, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so he hates your race car, but for you it's like music, mom, 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 mom. The smell of oil and gas. <laughs> That's all pollution. Smell. That's called pollution in California. But it smells good to me. That's my perception. <laughs> it's perfume. That, that is your karma. Because what everybody pursues gasoline smell as gasoline smell. They may not call that call it by that name, but it's the same smell. But one person registers it as a wonderful thing. Another person says this is pollution. This is not perfume. So, how you register it and how it remains within you, that's your karma. That will determine the next moment's experience for you. Right. Not allowing that to determine your next moment's ex experience is freedom. What is it that we get wrong about karma and understanding it? Who is that we? Most people. <laughs> Everything wrong. <laughs> I know, I know, that's why I'm coming to you. Um, but I feel like, you know, uh, karma, there's a, there's a, there's a perception that karma, perception of the perception, uh, that, you know, you do something bad and then something, you See, know, you get away with it and something, but I feel like that's not an accurate or, or deep enough understanding of See, karma. First of all, how do you decide something is bad? Racing is bad, okay? Racing is bad. A whole lot of people, now uh, because, uh, you know, my truck has gone on the Instagram or something, a whole lot of people are saying, this is a crime and India is suffering from pandemic, he is driving a truck. What would you want me to drive, a helicopter? I can do that, a plane, I can do that, a boat, I can do that. What would you... what would you want me to drive? No, I'll tell you this. One day I'm driving, you know, like I'm going to a conference in Chennai, in southern India. Somebody else is driving now, it's very rare that somebody else drives, it's somebody else's car, they're driving, I'm staying in someone's home. And they're driving in a very civilized way, and we're not going anywhere. Chennai needs a little forceful driving, otherwise you won't get anywhere. It's getting late for me, and uh, I've maintained this in the last thirty-nine years, I've not been late to a single event in my life. So, speed is a part of that, that I get there in time. I hear ya <laughs> So, I... I... So in a traffic lamp, I told the driver, you just get off. I made him get off, I got in and started driving. So I got to the hotel where the conference was. You know, these days after that uh, Mumbai terrorist attack, in every star hotel, good hotel that you go to, there is a security gate. There's two security guys who definitely do not know what they're looking for, okay? They will just look at you like this, like this. They don't see a damn thing, you can see that. And he just opens the boot and closes it. He doesn't see anything. And he puts a mirror under the car that you're carrying a bomb like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm carrying a bomb under my seat, how will you see it? Only thing is, he's thinking he will scare the terrorist, he'll make him nervous and catch him. Right. But anyway, that little barrier which is there, a terrorist will crash through that and go. It is not a barrier that can stop a car, I'm saying. Right, right. So anyway, one car went and this thing went up, and I squeezed myself through that and went and everybody started blowing their whistles. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I just went parked in the portico of the thing, I just left the car there and ran into the conference hall, straight on the stage. Spoke for an hour, hour, hour and then I came.
When I ran in, I saw some journalists standing there. They saw me, they thought, this is it, we caught him, you know <laughs> I didn't break any law because this is a private area. You go through the barrier, it is only hotel rules, not traffic rules. <laughs> smart. You're smart. <laughs> then when I came out, they asked me, in ancient times, yogis used to walk. Now you drive your own car, what kind of a yogi are you? Then I said, you idiots. In ancient times, everybody was walking, not just the yogis. Today, everybody is driving, a yogi is also driving and he drives little better, that's all the problem is. <laughs> and you drive a little better than the average, I'm guessing. <laughs> I drive well enough to... Though uh, from the age of twelve, I've been riding and then driving and everything. I've driven across the world. I'm still alive, so I must be driving okay. That's what I say. <laughs> memory. I feel like I, I, I listen to a lot about memory and how memory is intertwined with karma. Memory is karma. Karma is memory. That's why I said it's a residual impact. Right now, what is in your conscious memory is not even one percent of what is actually there. See, you definitely don't remember you being an amoeba. Do you remember? No. But your body remembers. Today, I'm sorry, I have to use such horrible examples, can I? Yeah. It's a you, bad example. Any example, Let's please. say you love cats and then you decided, because they don't like your food, you decided to eat their food out of your love. You know, because love means that I should do what you like. Sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right? Yeah. So you started eating cat food. In two months' time, will you turn into a cat? No, every cell in your body remembers that you are a human being. This is called evolutionary memory. It will not forget. The every cell in your body thinks, why this dumb idiot is eating cat food? <laughs> <laughs> we can do better. <laughs> yes, but it will not turn you into cat cells or cat body. All right? Because there is evolutionary memory, it will not get confused, do what you want. Now, ten generations ago, your great-great-great-grandmother, how she looked, do you remember? No. No. Her, but her nose may be sitting on your face right now, exactly the way it was. A million years ago, what was the skin texture of your forefathers? Still on, isn't it? So, this whole thing, what you call as myself, is simply memory. This is your karma. Because you have that kind of memory, you tend to automatically act in a particular way. This is karma. So why we want to be free from karma is because we don't want to be an extension of the past, we want to be a fresh life. If you want to be a fresh life, you must be able to stand in the richness of your memory and do your act now, fresh act. But. If you sink into this memory, then you will be doing only the past, thinking it is the future. Mm-hmm. Is there any escaping that though? Oh, of course. See, I... I've escaped. I'm a yogi, means I'm supposed to sit like this <laughs> See, I'm doing everything I can just to freak them out a little bit. Do you have to face the memory to heal no, it? No, no, no. No? See, the in... The, what is there as memory in this... I'm sorry, I'm using such words. I know these are negative words in social context. This is a bag of memory that you call as my body. Out of this, there is a mechanism called mind, which is also memory. Out of this is a mechanism called emotion, that is also memory. Out of this, there is energetic activity, that is also memory. All of this is controlled by the type of memory impressions that you have. Mm -hmm. Evolutionary, uh, genetic, karmic, 
and variety of other memories, this whole amalgamation of a complex uh, influx of memories which are happening to you right now. As you look at me, as you look at the garden, as you hear things, as you hear the birds, as you hear the automobiles, memories getting piled up. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to recognize anything. See, right now, an automobile is something which has been a part of you in many ways. Now, suppose you had no memory of an automobile, you have never seen one, you have never heard one. If I start an automobile, it was then you'll think, what is it? Once you have heard it and you know it's an automobile, after ten years if you hear it, you know, this is an automobile. Mm -hmm. How? Only by previous imprint, isn't it? These imprints are far more complex than you understand. It goes back to an amoeba. All that memory is here. Now, you don't try to decipher that because if you try to decipher that, you'll get buried in that memory. The simple thing is, make it... Uh, create enough surface tension so that it doesn't pop at you all the time. And now it's your stage. If you have a lot of memory, phenomenal amount of memory, bo there is no such thing as good memory and bad memory, they're just memory. Memory means it is past impressions. Yesterday can neither be good nor bad, isn't it now? It's over. Right. It cannot be good, it cannot be bad. But if you just get entangled with your memory, yesterday can be bad, yesterday can be good. Right. Whole lot of time, most people are living like this. They are not suffering their life, they are suffering their memory, isn't it? You said that suffering is being stuck in a memory you can't escape, can't get over, no, right? No. no, no, I didn't say the last part. You didn't part. say that? I didn't say, say the last part. Say it in your part. words, please. <laughs> See, people are suffering what happened ten years ago. What happened ten years ago, does it exist right now? No, it's nowhere here, it's only in your memory. So you're suffering this. What is memory? What is human memory compared to the memory of every other creature on the planet? Our memory is far more vivid than anybody else's memory on this planet as human beings. This vividness of memory, it what gives us richness of life, because we grasp... See, right now if I look at your face, I'm grasping many aspects of it which a dog may not grasp, a cat may not grasp, a grasshopper may not grasp. But as a human eye and human neurological process, I'm grasping various aspects of just one face on the planet. The detail that I'm grasping, nobody else grasps except a human being. If you have enough attention, you grasp much more. Because of this ability to grasp and perceive things, we have a massive sense of memory, mm. vivid sense of memory. Now, this vivid sense of memory is what sets us apart from every other creature, the richness of life, and that's what people are suffering. Because they do not know how to handle their own memory and their own imagination. If they had, let's say, yesterday a thorn went into their uh, foot, now everywhere they're thinking every blade of grass is thorn. <laughs> <All right. laughs> right, bad memory, or... <laughs> or somebody is a lala, they think they're walking on flowers all the time. There are people like that in California because they're on some... <laughs> they're on something else, not on gasoline <laughs> In California. <laughs> how do we make peace with our memory? See, how do you make peace with something that doesn't exist? But we have it, so we're in this conundrum. See, the memory is there, there is no such reality. It... you are misunderstanding your psychological process as a reality. That is the fundamental mistake. 
your thought and emotion, you think it is real. It is not, it's just something that you're making up. If you know you're making it up, then what is the problem? There's nothing to deal with because it doesn't exist. The problem is you've been... you've been given a very complex level of intelligence, which includes memory and imagination, but you don't have a stable enough platform. This platform is not stable enough, you know, let me put it like this. You heard of that English guy, because you were in UK for some time. You must have met this guy called Charles Darwin. Did you meet him? No. No. Didn't happen In some him. way, you met him in the school textbook at least. Okay, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, Charles Darwin went out to say that a goat could have become a giraffe in some million years, a pig could have become an elephant in many more million years, something, something like this, all right? An ant could have become a dinosaur right. over a billion years, whatever. But a monkey became a man rather quickly, I mean a woman also, okay? Don't take it... <laughs> <laughs> you know how many times I've been generalized as a guy, it does not bother me. <laughs> so, so uh, a monkey became a human being rather too quickly. How quickly means the DNA difference between a chimpanzee and a human being is only 1.23%. 1.23% is not much of a difference, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. So physiologically, that is how close you are to a chimpanzee. But in terms of intelligence and awareness, you're worlds apart. So essentially, human beings do not know how to handle their own intelligence because they don't have a stable enough platform. One important and significant aspect of the yogic sciences is to create a stable platform so that your intelligence works for you. If your intelligence works for you, would you keep yourself blissful or miserable? Blissful? Bliss. Bliss. If you are in some way miserable for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you just lost a race or you crashed your car, whatever the hell the reason is. If you are miserable, it simply means your intelligence is working against you. It's as simple as that. And you're in the memory. Hmm? And you're in the memory. Uh, your intelligence is not working for you. That means it doesn't decipher what is reality and what is memory, what is reality and what is imagination. How do we get our intelligence to work for us? Before the race, are you taking anti-diarrheal pills? <laughs> no. Some people are, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because imagination is going wild. Mm. This is human predicament. You do not know how to handle your own intelligence. That is the thing. If you had the brain of an earthworm, you would be peaceful, no nerves. Now to intelligence, is, is it a solution or is it a problem? What Good question. I don't know. It sounds like it's a problem no, after no. all this. What should it be? Intelligence it is a solution. solution. It should Intelligence be. Intelligence is a solution for everything, isn't it? But human beings have made it a problem because they don't have a stable enough platform for it. The most important thing is this, from early childhood we must strive to create a stable platform within the human being. That? How do so we do that? So that... Oh, there's a whole system. Of as there is a technology and science for external well-being, to create external well-being, similarly there's a whole science and technology for inner well-being. But right now, our life is not about being wonderful, our life is about how to be better than somebody. I want you to be number two in the race, next Indy 500, if both of us are there, I want you number two. Who is number one? <laughs> <laughs>
Of course, me. I'm saying this is the problem, that you... you're not seeing how to make this into the most wonderful possible life. You're always seeing how to be better than somebody. Mm -hmm. So this race is not just on the racetrack. On the racetrack, it's okay, we know it's a sport, all right? But this is with life itself. Now, if you're on the racetrack, what is your goal? You want to hit the finish line first. Right. Are they doing this? How are so they doing it? You're totally Indy. right. That's exactly how they <laughs> yeah. do it, yeah. Sometimes you, they use you two. You want to see the checkered flag. That's right. Quick. So if you believe your life is a race, what do you think is the finish line? That's a great question. Uh, enlightenment or death. Maybe someone thinks death. I don't know. No, is no, that the no. finish what line? What is the finish line for life? For the race, the finish line is checkered flag. Right. For life, the finish line is coffin. Yes. Yes. Do you want to get there soon? No. No. Then don't think it's a race. It's not a race against anybody. This is about you blossoming to your fullest possibility. So many people would say, how do I accomplish anything if I don't have goals and I don't have some kind of inertia pushing me through life and trying inertia, to be Inertia doesn't push. Inertia slows you down. Right now, that's all they're doing. Because, see, let us say you have only one leg and you're hopping around. I have two legs, but I want to be better than you. What will I do? I will try to hop little faster than you. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> That's ridiculous. You just run. <laughs> That's what is happening. Legs. That's what is happening to people. I was just telling somebody, it once happened. I'm sorry, I've just said that in another talk I had an hour ago. But let me say this because it's very important because you're a racer. And in the race, of course, you want to be the first one to cross the line. You want to see the checkered flag first. Nothing wrong with that, because as long as you understand it's a sport. But everybody wants to see the checkered flag in their life ahead of everybody. That means they'll see the coffin ahead of everyone. Even... they may not exactly die, but even when they're alive, they're like they're dead. They're not alive to anything. All right? This is what happens to them because they're always looking at who is going ahead, who's going behind. So I was just telling this person, this uh, is probably I was nine or ten years of age. So those days and even now I think they have this system that every month a report card is given in the school. Right. I never understood how my home and school were connected. I, I just didn't understand but this report card was a connection, transaction between my teacher and my father. And it's a private letter, why should I open it and see? I never used to open and see. I just handed it over, every time he saw it, he freaked. I thought, she must have said something nasty to him, but she was saying something nasty about me <laughs> So, once I gave the card and uh, I had gotten thirty-third rank, I was thirty-three. My father asked, how many students in your class? I said, thirty-three, of course. Isn't He's thirty-three like... a bigger number than number one? <laughs> Hello? Yeah. How many championships would you like to win, thirty-three or one? Thirty-three. <laughs> <laughs> there you are <laughs> This whole nonsense we are starting from kindergarten, that you must be better than somebody, what it means is you enjoy other people's failings. That is sickness, that's not joy. It seems like the world is set up kind of wrong. All wrong. We need to fix it. What is the solution? 
Well, we need to create a conscious planet, that's what we are striving for. Right now, to create a more conscious planet, if you were conscious, you wouldn't be doing this. You have evolved out of your monkeyness quite some time ago, but you are still not acknowledging it. See, when I... if I say you are monkeying somebody, what does it mean? Flying. You are imitating somebody, right? That's what yeah, it means, it's yeah, synonymous. Yeah. Being a monkey is being synonymous yeah. with imitation. So, we've still... though evolution has pushed us out of that monkey status, 1.23 percent <laughs> We do a lot with it. <laughs> but it's a world of difference. 1.23 percent is a world of difference. Yeah. But we are not giving up the old habits, this is karma. So, karma means your evolutionary... see, in your body, there is memory of every creature. It is not like you as a person became an amoeba, then a grasshopper, then this, that, not like that. As life on this planet has evolved, this body remembers every other structure of life that is there. And that is why it can maintain its integrity even if you give it cat food. It can maintain its integrity because this memory is one hundred percent set. You can't take it somewhere else. You can try to behave like them, but this structure will remain the same because there is evolutionary memory well established in this system. Similarly, genetic memory, karmic memory, all these things are there. How to be above that needs a conscious approach to life. Right now, karma gives us an automatic autopilot to our life. If you just go by our karma, everything is by the tendencies we have developed, it'll simply happen, somebody will become this, somebody will become that in a society. But if you want to be above that, you can only do that by being conscious. How to be conscious? Simplest thing. Right now, millions of people are doing this simple process called as Isha Kriya. See, because your karma or all memory that you have, evolutionary, genetic, karmic, this, that, every kind of memory that you have, exists only in your body. And another body which you refer to as mind, but you don't know where it is. Hello? Right. You don't know where it is. Everybody says it's... it's not like that. Right. <laughs> Every cell in the body has its own intelligence and its own memory, all right? So, there is a mental body, there's a physical body. If you distance yourself from your physical body and your mental structure, this is the end of karma, because that's where the memory bag is. If you keep the memory bag aside, it's there, you know? Like, uh, people can't keep their phone aside now because like this, like this, because it's got some thousand GB of some nonsense, all right, going on <laughs> If you just keep it aside and switch it off, you can sit here, it's over, right? But they can't do it because they have no means, they've never seen how. Because it is not about the phone, it is because you're compulsive. It may be a phone, it may be a cigarette, it may be a drink, it may be a food, it may be a person. You can't keep your hands free because you're compulsive. It may be your uh, longing for food or pleasure or something, but essentially you're compulsive. If you're compulsive, you're kind of denying your evolutionary status. Because the significance of being human is we can be conscious. We not doing anything very different from what the other creatures are doing. They are also just born like us. You know, their parents came together, they were born. Our parents came together, we... we are born. Mm -hmm. We grow up, they grow up very easily, we grow up with a lot of fuss. 
Then what is the next significant thing that you do as a generation if you look? Next thing is maybe we will reproduce and they will reproduce without fuss, you will reproduce with lot of fuss. And one day you will die, that also with lot of fuss, they do it more gracefully. So everything that you do, every ant to elephant, everybody is doing it. Only thing is we can do it consciously. This is a massive difference. Mm -hmm. that we can do the same simple things consciously, mm -hmm. suddenly it's another space, mm -hmm. suddenly it's a completely different possibility. If you do not exercise this ability to be conscious in every act that you are, because consciousness is not in the act that you perform. Right now, I hear that everybody's saying, be mindful of this, my, be mindful of that. Mindfulness will make you a little more alert, maybe you'll survive better than others. Okay. But consciousness is your existence. See, you know you're here only because you're conscious, isn't it? If you fall asleep and you're unconscious, you don't know where you're sitting. I'm in the now, dream somewhere. Now, the question is, you won't know whether you're somewhere or not. When you're sleeping, you don't exist. Yeah. Though you're alive. Right. You don't exist in your sleep, that if you're sleeping well, I'm saying. Right. <laughs> right. Right now, you're conscious. Question is only how conscious. So now all you need to do is turn up the voltage because you cannot be conscious without generating an intense level of energy. Have you noticed when you're on full throttle and taking the corner, you far more conscious than yes. sitting on a chair? Yes, yes. Now, let me translate that. That is not the way it should be because that is still alertness. But there is an element of consciousness in that. Suppose you could keep yourself like that without the necessary adrenaline attached to it, without the necessary maybe an element of fear or danger attached to it. If you could simply sit like here, keeping your blood pressure down, but as alert as you were taking that corner at full speed, then you will achieve something that you have never imagined possible. You will hit a pitch of life that you never imagined possible. People, you know, like I was with a group of uh, people keep inviting me for under twenty-five conferences. They think I'm under twenty-five. I look like that, don't I? You look wonderful. Yes. Under, under 125. <laughs> <laughs> That's an insult, but it's okay. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I am too. We all are. Under 125 miles is insult for me. Oh. Oh, I thought we were talking about years old. Oh, okay, okay. I was okay. thinking of miles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm over 125 miles an hour. Okay. So, uh, now they're asking me, Sadhguru, you drive so fast, is your adrenaline up and do you enjoy that excitement? I... I never thought about this, I just looked back and saw, when I drive really fast, I become really cool, means absolutely still and cool. Yeah. I'm never excited when I'm driving very fast, I'm like, very, very... almost become cold, literally. Mm. Simply alert mm. and there. No, no excitement, no adrenaline, no such thing in my life. Actually, you have not enjoyed the power of stillness. That's why you think this is... this is better, amphetamine is better than being still. Stillness is the nature of the existence. Over ninety-nine percent of the existence, 
which is not material in nature, mm -hmm. in this entire cosmos, right. not even one percent is material existence. Right. Rest is all absolutely still. This is the lap of creation. Hmm. You must be there always because you are a piece of creation. You are best only when you're in the lap of creation. So maybe to bring it full circle, to understand, because for me it helps to really understand more of the roots of the truth about our existence, our, our humanness, consciousness. Where does it come from? Where do we come from? Come on, don't ask such questions, where do I come from? <laughs> consciousness though, yes. which is essentially what gives this, uh, what do we call this, a memory bag? Karmic bag, we can call it. Karmic bag, karmic bag, <laughs> karmic bag. Memory bag, bag is not karmic a good bag. word to use for any human being, but I'm saying bag because a bag is something you can carry or you can keep it down. So that's why I'm using the word bag for you, not in any other context. You can carry it in your hand or keep it down or sl sling it on your shoulder. That All makes right? sense. If you carry the bag on your little finger, it'll hurt so much. Yeah. If you carry like this, less. If you string it here, much less. If you keep it down, wonderful. The nature of life is such, if you keep your karmic bag down, it's not going to go away, it's going to travel with you. But it's your choice whether you want to carry it on your head or it just comes with you like baggage. Let's say whatever baggage you carry when you're traveling, if you had to keep it on your head through the entire travel, terrible, isn't it? It's yeah. in the luggage hold, so it's good. This is all I'm saying, karma means just this. You can keep it there, it'll anyway come. Your name is marked on it. <laughs> it will come, don't worry, it'll not go anywhere, you can't lose it. If you lose your mind, you'll not lose your karma. If you lose your body, you will not lose your karma, it will come with you. You don't have to worry where it'll go. So because of your worry where it'll go, you're carrying it on your head and it hurts all the time because of the sheer weight of it. Not because it's good or bad, simply right. it's heavy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for Thank you very much. helping me set my bag down. <laughs> That's good. Bye bag. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.